Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode nine of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining Rashawn and I again for another episode. We have two very exciting interviews. Rashawn did his first ever interview with a former NHLer, over 700 games in the NHL, Jason Strudwick. Um, He is born in Edmonton, played for the Oilers, played for the Canucks, Rangers, and Blackhawks. Um, So Rashawn got some insight from him on his career and what it was like playing in his hometown of Edmonton. And then we got some more Oilers content with another Edmonton boy in Gene Principe. Uh, He's the host of Edmonton Oilers Hockey on Rogers Sportsnet for the past 20 seasons. So he knows a lot about Edmonton and the Oilers Hockey. So we got a great insight from him. I'll be throwing it over to my interview with Gene in a moment. But before then, I want to uh, tell you guys about our giveaway again. Uh, Last day to enter, April 3rd, Canucks versus Sharks on April 9th. So go look at our Instagram and uh, join that giveaway at Lip Lettuce Podcast on Instagram. Um, At Lip Lettuce on Spotify. We'll be working on some Apple Podcasts soon, but... uh, yeah, without further ado, here's my interview with Gene, and then we'll be thrown over to me and Hershon talking about uh, trade deadline and everything that happened this week. So a lot of content in this episode, and uh, we're excited to share it with you guys. So thank you so much again for listening. We wouldn't be anything without you. So here's my interview with Gene. <laughs> I am so honored to introduce my next guest, a reporter and host of Edmonton Oilers Hockey on Sportsnet for over 20 years, the one and only Gene (laughs) Principe. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Lip Lettuce Podcast. Hey, uh, uh, Randeep, it's it's fantastic uh, to be on. And uh, boy, when you say it like that, I feel like I feel like I've been around a long time, but uh, maybe that's a good thing too. So no, it's a pleasure to be on with you and to be uh, talking about the Edmonton Oilers. Well, it's a true honor to talk to you. And I, I wanted to get someone on to talk about the Oilers. And I didn't think of anyone better that would know the team any better than, than you. You've obviously been covering them for a long, long time. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of <clears throat> ups and downs over the years for the Oilers and that's been a little bit like their season this year. Um, they obviously had struggles with Dave Tippett earlier in the year. And I wanted to ask your opinion on what you think the biggest difference has been uh, as the new coach has settled in and the Oilers have turned their season around. Yeah, Randeep, isn't it amazing? You know, uh, nine and one to start the season, 16 and five after uh, 21 games. Then they go to 11 and two during a stretch and it results in the change of a head coach. And you're kind of going, what happened, you know, what happened to be so good and then what happened to not be so good. And I thought Ken Holland said it the best. Um, and I think it was just uh, before he made the change for Dave Tippett. Um, you know, he said, Art, you know, we've been up and down like a toilet seat and, and it's true. And I think that's what made it quite difficult for Ken to sort of understand what have I got here? Have I got the nine and one 16 and five team, or do I have the two 11 and two team? And I think it was pretty clear to everybody that it was, more than nine and one than 
and then 211 and two, but uh, it was a just a stretch they could not seem to get out of. Um, you know, I think with Jay Woodcroft, he comes in, um, he is a different style coach, but at the same time, I mean, these aren't off the wall systems that players have never seen before, uh, but from what I'm, I'm seeing and from what I'm hearing, uh, people who kind of watch the game closely is that he's, he's really added some structure. Their five on five game has been, uh, you know, better with goals for and against, you know, simple numbers. They're scoring more and they're allowing less. So uh, what exactly it is, is, is kind of hard to describe. And, you know, Dave did have some success with Edmonton. In fact, uh, the weird thing in Randeep is that, Really, Dave's two regular seasons were were really good. And then when the playoffs came, they lost the qualifying round the first year uh, to Chicago. And then last year were swept by uh, Winnipeg, even though, you know, one game was triple overtime, basically all one goal games. One game had an empty netter. So they were close. Uh, so now this was kind of a switch going, wait a minute here. Our challenges usually come in the playoffs, not during the regular season. So for the first time in his history, Ken Holland let go of a coach during the season. And uh you know, a results-driven business ran deep. It appears to be a good move because the Oilers are are, are looking good right now. They've uh, put themselves in a good playoff position, and uh, the city's excited about where this team is headed. Right. And, um, of course, Dean, what do you think of the Oilers' deadline? Um, they've obviously showing faith in their goaltending. A lot of people thought that they might have gone out and uh, added some depth at that position, but... They kind of stood pat there with uh, Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith, but moving forward and for the rest of the year, do you do you look at that trade deadline as a successful one by Ken Holland? I do. Um, you know, I think Ken had, had certain wants, uh, and then there's certain needs, and the needs were to add a, a depth defenseman. The needs were to add some experience. And a want at some point might have been a goaltender, but Ken was quite clear in saying he feels like when his two goalies are healthy, that uh, one or the other can help them win. Um, as for Rhett Kulak, the depth defenseman they got, uh, he, he fits in nicely on, on that third pairing, but with the potential to move up a little bit and play a few more minutes. But it, it just makes the defense core that much stronger because you've added one more player who can play. Uh, up front, I, I love the Derek Broussard move. Uh, he's going to pass 950 games in the NHL by the time this season is done, not to mention 117 in the playoffs, and not to mention, but I will, a Stanley Cup final run uh, with the New York Rangers. Um, you know, in the end, this is what Edmonton is built for, is to, to win a Stanley Cup and to get a guy like that who can play center or wing and has been through many of these playoff um challenges uh, I think it was great and you know they didn't give up any anyone really that was going to be a factor in their playoff chase and or playoff run so I, I think it works great uh, the, the team has more depth now it's a better team I would say as of Monday at uh, 1 p.m. Mountain uh, 2 p.m. Central 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. Pacific whatever time zone you want to pick uh, once the deadline had come and gone, the orders were a better team than they were before it. So from that standpoint, I'd have to say successful trade deadline for Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers. Right. And another move earlier in the year that 
people talking. The Oilers are one of the most talked about teams in the NHL, and rightly so. They have two of the best players in the NHL. But a player that they added earlier in the year was Evander Kane. So in your eyes, do you think that his impact on the team has been exactly um, as described uh, coming in? Randeep, I, I mean, I don't know if you would get Ken to admit this, but he might be doing more than even they expected. You know, having not played for half a season, uh, short of a couple of games in the minors, uh, who knew how long it would take to get him up to speed? He is, uh, you know, um, an experienced forward who's been through being traded before and in this case being signed by Edmonton. Uh, he's been fantastic. I mean, <laughs> it just it, it, sometimes it's amazing how one player can just kind of make everything fit more right. I guess, you know, the, having Kane in the top six allows Ryan Nugent Hopkins to be a third line center. And that gives him, as Jay Woodcroft says, a, a you know, strength on the spine of the team down the middle. I think last I checked, he's got like 15 goals. I mean, he seems like a virtual lock to get 20 goals, which over the course of a season, he, he would likely be at around the, a 40 goal scorer. Uh, big physical. He has some elements that we really don't see a lot uh, from other forwards. Uh, we can get nasty. He can get physical. He can get involved. He can be a bit intimidating. So uh, along with the soft hands, there's other uh, characteristics that Devander Kane provides to the orders. And so I'm not sure anyone could have thought that it would be this great. You can, you can hope it, you can wish it, you can dream it. And uh, to this point, it's turned into reality. Do you envision uh, him being a long-term fit hmm. with the Edmonton Oilers? Um, has his off-ice off ice, um, demeanor and the way he carries himself been very professional so far? From everything we've seen, uh, I would say yes. And from everything we've heard, again, I would say yes. I, You know, as I kind of joke, uh, the only trouble he's giving anyone is the other team. He has not given the Edmonton Oilers any kind of reason to to wonder about you know what kind of guy is this how will he fit uh you know while evander may have his detractors he's got his friends too and people that believe in him and i look at a guy like joe thornton who's been in the league a long long time and uh joe thinks evander is a pretty good dude and uh you know for me that tells me something uh, about what evander's like evander himself when he opened up uh, as an oiler he said listen yes of course i've made some mistakes uh, in the past, it seems like his mistakes um, become uh, well-known, well-documented, uh, talked about a lot. Uh, but since he's become an Edmonton Oiler, he's been a fantastic fit. And it'll be an interesting uh, situation for the Oilers to deal with uh, because he's if he continues this kind of pace, and depending on what happens in the playoffs, he might have who knows who's looking at him and, and for how long and for how much. So uh, kind of a bridge I think Randeep they'll cross at the – at the time for now, they're just happy to have them. And, you know, I'm sure there's some other teams kind of looking going, Hmm, maybe we should have, uh, but, but they didn't and Edmonton did. And uh, they're reaping the benefits of it. Since uh, the Oilers second round lost to the Anaheim Ducks in game seven in uh, 2017, I believe they, they've been kind of disappointing in the playoffs and not being able to reach that height again. Um, this this year's team, they, they look poised to make a little bit of a run, to make a, a push to at least win one round this playoffs. 
Um, why should Oilers fans believe in this team? What makes them different from uh, teams previous? I mean, last year you look at the series against the Jets. I, I <clears throat> might have expected the Oilers to win that series or even the playing against Chicago. So what? What? why should Oilers fans believe in this team and what makes them different? Well, I think first off, those two series you mentioned, uh, they are definitely motivating factors uh, especially for two guys named Connor and Leon. Uh, they have had uh, a bitter end to both of those seasons, the first in the bubble, the other one uh, coming in Winnipeg in that opening round series. That was a series really that was up for grabs. And, you know, to this day, uh, you know, the Oilers believe they, they outplayed the Jets, but, but didn't outscore them and didn't beat them. So that's left to be um, used as a tool to get better. Uh, losing never leaves you. You just get better. At dealing with it i also think that um they're just built better they've got more depth they've got more players i think that can succeed at the playoff level we all know that whatever the regular season is like the playoffs are different and everything is more intense more physical more dramatic more emotional and i just think that they've had these slips that have set them up to move forward. And and I would say at this point, Randeep, that for sure, coming off a qualifying round loss and a first round exit, that winning a round is, is kind of where they have to start. Um, but I would say that this is a team that's, of course, intent on winning the Stanley Cup, but also intent on furthering themselves and getting to a second or third round. That series in 2017, you know, they, they were not far away very close to being a conference finalist. So you're in the final four. And those two drivers back then were Leon and Connor with other players, of course, it's a team game. But um, I would say from 2017, these two are, you know, way better, more experienced, more mature. And so um, I think they've got a lot of factors that, that point them in the right direction. You know, in the end, they'll, they'll have to prove it. Uh, no one's going to sidestep. No one's going to make it easy on them. But I think they're they're ready for that sort of hard run that that is needed uh, for them to get somewhere in the postseason. I agree. I mean, the Oilers they have two of the best players in in the NHL, and playing that kind of duo in a seven game series, and if Connor and Leon manage to get on any kind of pair close to what they had earlier in the year, that that ultimately could lead to a Stanley Cup for Edmonton. So. That's a scary part for, for other teams. Yeah, and I, you bring up a really good point, Randeep. I, th I think the one thing that Dave Tippett did that sort of continues to resonate is that he did at times use Connor and Leon on the same line, and, and that makes sense. But he really split them up for the longest they've ever been split up uh, while being teammates. And Jay Woodcroft has continued that. The two of them really... Uh, they're, they're small stretches, the team's behind in the third. Yes, he, he puts them together, but other than the power play, they, they've been on separate lines. And and then if you, to circle back to Ryan Nugent Hopkins is now your third line center, a guy who played a 700th game recently. So uh, I, I like that down the middle, how that looks. Uh, I think of, of, you know, teams like Pittsburgh, for example, with Crosby, Malkin and Stahl. And uh, that's a difference that they, they didn't have, uh, you know, in the past because of Evander Kane, because of, Zach Hyman, uh, Derek Broussard's another player that rounds out that third unit. So more better players, I guess, if if that's maybe not the right way to put it, but the right meaning of what I'm trying to get out um, when it comes to 
reasons that I think they're they're better suited for a long playoff run. Right. And a team that has been getting a lot of um, hype lately is the Calgary Flames. But if you look at the standings and the, the wins on the season, the Edmonton Oilers are only, I, th- I believe, two or three wins behind the Calgary Flames. I mean, I, I don't think there is much or anything that really separates those two teams, uh, maybe besides J- Jacob Markstrom. But uh, I would say, do you, do you think that there is a preferred matchup for Edmonton in the first round, or do you think they, they take whoever they, they can get? Well, you know, I, th- I think if you're – well, Calgary and Edmonton would be wonderful. Um, they have not met in the playoffs since 1991, which is like – were you even born, Randeep? I don't even know if you were born, pal. I no, mean, I was born in so, 1996. <laughs> yeah, well, see, so that's a perfect example. It's unbelievable. There's a generation, maybe almost not quite two, but one and a half, that I've never seen these these two teams uh, take each other on. Uh, and, and lately – there was a time where one was good and one wasn't, uh, and it, they sort of flip back and forth. But they have both been good for a while, but they can't, they can't seem to meet up. So, I, I, I mean, I think the Oilers would, wouldn't mind playing Calgary. Uh, first of all, geographically, travel-wise, to start off with almost a home series with minimal travel. It's not quite Anaheim, L.A., but, but pretty close. Uh, you know, if not, it looks like, at this point, they would face LA, um, which which is you know okay. The travel isn't uh, too bad. Uh, I, I think you know. Do I think they have a better shot of beating Calgary or LA? Well, if the standings have LA lower than Calgary, then I would say yes. Um, just like if you're LA, you'd rather play Edmonton if they're in third instead of Calgary, who's in first. I think Jacob Markstrom is a is a big uh, potential. Uh, pitfall for any opposing team. Uh, but LA's got Jonathan Quick, who has won some Stanley Cups. I know that was a while ago. Um, you know, that's the one area I, I think that people will will point to and say, you know, who has the better goalie or goalies? And while the Oilers may not win head-to-head, you know, one goalie against the other goalie, the Oilers combo of the two, um, I, I think, is, is stronger than many of the teams have when it comes to their top two. I understand in a seven-game series, you're likely going to go with your number one the entire series until things are, you know, either they're hurt or things are really going sideways. But, um, you know, elsewhere, I think the Oilers will will win a lot of the matchups when you sit there and put them on paper. So I, I think anyone will do. But at some point, I, I'm sure uh, Battle of Alberta fans are looking forward to seeing Edmonton take on Calgary in the playoffs. Well, uh, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time uh, today, but I do have one last question for you. Um, what's your most uh, memorable or funny story that you have covering the Oilers so far in your career? Uh, wow. Most funny story that I have. One of the memorable ones, it wasn't so much funny, but was uh, Patrick Maroon, who uh, was with the Oilers and went back to St. Louis. His son, Anthony, was uh, living in St. Louis. So it was long distance parenting uh, for Pat and he scored a goal and I'll never forget showing him his son's reaction. And not many pro athletes uh, come to tears, but that just showed you the love that Pat had uh, for his son. I'm trying to think of funny, 
funny stuff. I think one funny uh, story I remember, and this goes back a ways, but at one point the Oilers had uh, Tom Gilbert, Andrew Cogliano, and Sam Gagne. Sam and Andrew continued to play in the NHL and uh, went to a, went to their house, which they were using. It was Ethan Morrow's house, one-time captain of the Oilers, and went and did a nice feature on them. And by the end of the feature, they, they cooked dinner. But guess who was doing dishes? It was me. So um, that, that was a that was a funny piece to uh, to get to spend some time with them and uh, just have a few laughs. It, obviously, during the pandemic, it's hard to get to anyone's house, uh, but uh, that was one that sticks out. There've been a lot of great moments, you know. I'm uh, I'm from Edmonton and grew up watching the Oilers, and so for me to have an opportunity to work in my hometown and cover them has you know been my dream a lot of kids dream of being in the nhl well that was my dream as well it just turned out i'm in the nhl covering the hockey not playing hockey but i think it worked out just fine because i know i couldn't play in the league uh but i certainly enjoy the opportunity to cover it that's awesome gene well thank you so much again for your time it was it was an honor again speaking to you and i hope that uh, we could talk again soon to talk about the oilers and hopefully a long playoff run anytime randeep anytime pal All right. Thank you again. Take care. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode nine of the Lip Lettuce podcast. I'm your host, Randeep. And as always, my co-host, Rashawn, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we got a special edition. The trade deadline, of course, happened this this past Monday. Um, so we're going to be covering all the trades that went down this week. Um, also, we're very excited for two interviews today um, with two Oilers-based uh, people. Jason Strudwick, Hershon's first ever interview. You guys won't want to miss that. Played over 700 NHL games between the Rangers, Blackhawks, Canucks, and Oilers. Um, Hershon interviewed him and asked him about his career and how it was playing for all those teams. And then I got to interview Gene Principe. No one knows the Oilers better than Gene. He's been covering them over 20 years, and he's the host for the Oilers on Rogers Sportsnet when they play. So he gave us some uh, good insight and some interesting uh commentary about the team this year so we're looking forward to those two interviews and uh as always thank you guys so so much for listening um so let's get started sean uh let's dive right into it there was a lot of trades on monday the most trades out of any trade deadline of all time um where do you want to start let's start with the leafs mark giordano coming to the leafs for a second round pick and also colin blackwell coming to the leafs as well um, how do you feel about that trade, Sean? And uh, you think the Leafs did a good job at addressing all their needs? Well, um, I mean, Dubas did what he wanted to. He didn't give up a first-round pick or a prospect for a rental. And they able to get a defenseman and a fourth line, a top bottom six forward, which he needed. So only give up two seconds and a third. So maybe people are upset about the goalies, but I guess the market wasn't wasn't there for goaltending. So he did what he could, addressing what they needed. Um, Just pulling up the trades here. There's some other trades that went down that are of note. Um, 
We'll start at the beginning of the day here. I'm just pulling up the trades. Um, so we had the Giordano trade, and then you had some interesting work by the Sens. Um, they picked up Travis Hamannick from the Canucks for a third-round pick. Um, the Canucks basically used that third-round pick to acquire Travis Dermott, which which is a very good good trade. So what do you think of the Sens? What would be the reasoning behind Travis Hamannick coming to that team? I don't know what the reasoning is, to be honest. I like, I don't know what the Sens are really doing with that trade. Um, I, I don't know what they could. Have, I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, well, I, I, to me that sounds like a lot, like maybe a pure McGuire push trade because there's no reason for the Sanders. I mean, they need warm bodies on their team, but there's no reason for them to go out and pick up Travis Hamannick and especially give up a third round pick at that for that player. So I'm not sure why the Sens made that a, a acquire, acquiry, but um, the Canucks did some decent work picking up Travis Dermott. Obviously, we watch a lot of Travis Dermott, and he has a lot of good potential. He could skate. He could move the puck. And for a third-round pick, I thought that they basically update, upgraded Travis's. Yeah, they definitely did. I think getting rid of that Travis Hamannick contract was a big win for the Canucks in itself. And another trade by the Sens, uh, which was surprising, was Matthew Joseph going to the Senators uh, with a fourth-round pick. And they traded away Nick Paul. They weren't able to come to an agreement with him on a contract. Uh, what do you think about the Sens getting Matthew Joseph? And on the other end, the Lightning getting Nick Paul. I thought it was a trade that could benefit both teams. I think Joseph has more of an upside than Paul with his speed. And his ability to score, we saw it in the finals last year against Montreal. But Nick Paul's a useful player for Tampa Bay, and he scored in their first game with the team. Uh, what do you think of that trade, Sean? I think uh, kind of a win for both sides, but Nick Paul's definitely a more skilled player. So I guess that's what Tampa wanted. And although it's a good player, Matthew Joseph, who definitely has more better upside than Nick Paul did. Yeah, and we look at some other trades going down the list. Wedgwood. From Dallas to Arizona for a conditional fourth. Uh, Arizona picking up some more goalie depth by claiming Harry Sateri off waivers from Toronto. Uh, Toronto signed him, trying to sneak him onto the team from Finland. Uh, he played in the KHL and he won a gold with Finland in the in the Olympics. So that would have been an interesting pickup. Um, going down the line here, Jeremy Laison gets picked up for Nashville for some defensive depth for a second round pick. Um, Mason Appleton was picked in the expansion draft by Seattle from Winnipeg and Winnipeg gets him back for a fourth um, some more trades uh, Nathan Boyu, uh goes from Winnipeg to Pittsburgh for a conditional seventh um, any trades you want me to uh, stop on Sean there's uh, Washington they reacquired Marcus Johansson um, obviously, he was a part of their cup run um, back in 2018, and they gave up Sprong a fourth and a sixth for that pick pickup. I thought that was a pretty good pickup. I mean, Johansson, he could still be a useful player. Yeah, he could definitely still be a useful player. And I guess Sprong is good for Seattle, too. I mean, I think he has two goals ready with the team, one in his first game. So that was yeah. just, that's a trade that made sense for both teams. Um, Minnesota 
uh, I thought they made the biggest deal of the of the. I thought they were the biggest winners of the day. Um, they traded Kapukakinen, who is a young goalie with some upside, but he uh, he was performing well, but then he's kind of faltered lately. And San Jose picks him up, giving away Jake Middleton in a fifth. And then Minnesota goes around, and they pick up Marc-Andre Fleury to upgrade their goaltending position. Um, they've been faltering. They haven't been playing the greatest as of the last few months. And I think this is a great pickup. They didn't give up a much. Uh, it's a conditional second. I think it goes to a first if they make it to the conference finals and Flurry plays um, a majority of the game. So I think that's a really good pickup for the Wild. Yeah, they made some big moves coming out towards deadline. Picked up Tyson Jost a couple of days before deadline, and then picked up Jake Milton and Mark Andre Fleury, and then even a a sleeper pick like Nick Delorier, who had a goal in his first game with the team. Minnesota definitely made some big moves to upgrade their team. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a goal for it here because next year they're going to struggle, um, considering they're going to be twelve million dollars in cap penalties for the Suter and Parise buyouts. So this year was the year that Bill Guerin really targeted and thought they had a chance. And I think they have a chance definitely in that central division. Yeah. Um, we move through the uh, trade. Trade is here. Um, another big one. St. Louis acquiring Nick Letty for uh, Lucas Witowski. Um, there's just some a few draft picks going the other way for Detroit. That would that was a good move, and I thought the Rangers did really well, as long along with the Avalanche. The Avalanche picking up Cogliano. They picked up Lekkinen and Manson before the trade deadline. Um, all moves that really could shore up that team. Yeah, Colorado definitely going all in this year. I mean, they gave up a bunch for Man- for Lekkinen and Cogliano, but that's good forward depth, and I think Colorado's all in it for the cup this year. The Rangers as well, um, picking up Tyler Mott and Andrew Kopp. Really good depth pieces that will help the penalty kill and really bolster a third and fourth line. What do you think of the Rangers picking up those players? Yeah, Mott is a good bomb six forward player for the Rangers and Kopp. He can definitely play third line and he can play in the top six. And, you know, he's a goal scorer, so that's what the Rangers needed. Um, before the trade deadline, we had Brandon Hagel that was, to me, the biggest trade of this whole situation because two firsts were given and two young roster players and in Kachuk, I think that's how you say his name, and Taylor Radish, um, both players who played World Juniors. And Hagel's 23, two years left at 1.5 per year, and he has 23 goals this year. Um, I think that's a trade that could bite Tampa in the back, but they're a team that's, they could give up these kind of assets because of how much they've won. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I guess seeing a player that cheap and having term, that's something that's appealing to a team that's gets close to the cap every year, like Tampa. Yeah, like that's uh, it's an interesting trade to me because they're giving up the two firsts, but the two firsts might never amount to a player like Brandon Hagel. But Brandon Hagel himself, he's an undrafted player, signed from Buffalo, traded to Chicago. Um, he's only 23, but it's not like he was a highly touted prospect or player to come into the NHL. So it's a big risk by Tampa, but a move that's looked pretty decent so far. 
very short sample size, but we'll see how it goes in the long run. Um, who knows? Those two players might turn out to be great players that they gave in uh, the first round picks. Um, the two prospects, who, they could have a ceiling as well. So interesting trade, Tampa trading away, trading away some guys to kind of make a run this year, um, younger players. So they definitely believe they have a chance at a 3 P. And um, I think another big trade is the Florida Panthers acquiring Claude Giroux from Philadelphia, sending away Owen Tippett in a first-round pick. Oh, yeah, I forgot we never talked about that. Yeah, I forgot. That that seemed like a low price for Claude Giroux, considering the name and how many games he's played and being a captain of a team. Yeah, I think they gave up Owen Tippett in the first-round pick for Giroux. I think that was... That's just a move that Florida needs to make as this is a goal for a year for them. But it's also a move like I feel like Philly could have gotten more if Giroud wasn't picking where he wanted to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he basically just said, I want to go to Florida. So it was hard to make any leverage on a move. Yeah, for the end. Another move is Boston acquiring Campus Lindholm from Anaheim in exchange for John Moore. Your whole back in and three draft picks. Well, we uh, Boston also like we're looking at Boston. They they went up and re-upped Lindholm for eight years at six point five million dollars a year. Um, that's a long contract for that player. I think the first three or four years it might be a pretty decent contract, but after that, that contract might look pretty bad. Um, I mean, like, Lindholm was looking for term, and that's why they couldn't come to agreement in Anaheim, and he got what he got in Boston. So, I a team out. that also I thought made some savvy moves. Um, we have some content on them this episode, um, like we said earlier. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers acquiring Derek Broussard, a player who's had Stanley Cup final experience with the New York Rangers and plays some good depth minutes and could play on your second power play. And Brett Kulak um, obviously was part of Montreal's run last year. And a good 5-6 kind of option that bumps uh, some guys out of the lineup and just some good depth. So I think the Oilers, they didn't sell too hard. And a team like that, I think I think that's a good move. You know, the Pacific is, is up for the taking. Calgary's strong, but I, I definitely think that they're not a proven proven team that's done it before. Yeah, I think um, I agree with that. I think they didn't really, they didn't, um, they didn't go and get the goaltending situation fixed. I think that's what a lot of older fans were talking about. But the market for goaltending was really slim. As Flurry was really the only goaltender dealt, big goaltender dealt at the deadline. But they acquired some defenseman depth, which they definitely needed. Um, Ricard Raquel, Pittsburgh looking for one last cup run. Well, not one last, but they're looking to make a run, one of their last ones with this core of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, picking up Ricard Raquel. And I actually thought they gave up quite a bit. Um, Dominic Samo, he's a key part of their bottom six. And Zach Aston-Reese, also a key part of their penalty kill and a big, fast player. Um, they gave, also gave up a second. So that's a high price to pay for Ricard Raquel, um, he's struggled the last few seasons. He's kind of bounced back this year with 16 goals. But even still, for a 16-goal scorer, 
Um, he does play center and wing. He can play every position up front. So he gives you versatility throughout your lineup. But to me, that's a very high price to pay. Um, Pittsburgh really wants to win, and I guess they saw a lot in Raquel that they liked. I mean, he was a 30-goal scorer during his career. and But, like, how long ago? So, three, four years ago. But, Phil, but like, there's other players, too, that were 30-goal scorers three or four years ago. Well, Pittsburgh, I guess they need – they really want to acquire someone to play maybe – Top six forward, and yes, it's Albert Kellister option. So, are there any other big trades we're missing? Uh, Rangers acquired Justin Braun. That's good, good depth pickup. Um, uh, I think. Oh, Carolina acquired Max Domi. Right, right. Um, to me, Domi he could be a productive player, but I don't see where he really fits in Carolina's lineup. Do you yeah, see where he fits? I don't really see him fitting in Carolina. I mean. I wouldn't say he's this big, tough, gritty guy. I mean, he has like nine hits this season, so I don't know what... I think the last name really gives his reputation more than what it is. Um, He's a good player offensively, but four teams now in the last, what, four years? Three, three, four years. Especially this year, he's struggled a lot. Um, So that's an interesting pickup, and it was kind of a last-minute deal, wasn't it? Right at the deadline. It was, yeah, especially right before the deadline ended. So that was also an interesting deal. Um, yeah, that was it for trade deadline. There was a lot of big trades. Um, who were your biggest winners, Sean? Let's say your two biggest winners and your two biggest teams that were questionable. You don't know why they made the moves they did or they might have paid too much for a certain player. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely, I would put Tampa as... I mean, not Tampa, sorry. Minnesota is my biggest winner. And then uh, I also put Rangers up there as a winner. And my two biggest questions are probably Ottawa. And it's hard to say, but... I want to say Florida, but... I mean, they acquired two good players, but I'm, it's just the bench you're on deal. It's just... I don't know. That's just... That's such a weird case. I think when you're a team like Florida, you haven't won a playoff series in like over 20 years, and you finally yeah, finally have a good team. Um, they've never really had a team that's been first place and it's such a good division. Um, you kind of have to go for it, right? I kind of understand where they're, where they're coming from. If it's not this year, what year will it be? Um, so I understand that a little bit. But to me, they're not my biggest winners, so I agree with you there. Um, you could definitely see it from both sides. As you said, I thought both those teams, uh, your winners, Minnesota and the Rangers, did well. But I won't choose the same teams as you because that's boring. Um, my two biggest winners, um, actually, I thought were the Col- Colorado Avalanche. Um, picking up pieces that I think just round out that roster really well with Cogliano and Manson. And Lekkanen, I think Lekkanen could be a really big difference maker. He could slot into your third, fourth, or second line and be a penalty killer, play on your power play. He's a fast player. He's tough to play against. So I thought that Colorado, they didn't give up a boatload. They didn't give up a King's Ransom. They kept held on to guys like New Hook and Byram, um, their future. And they still got better. So I think Colorado, 
that's my uh, pick for winner. Um, biggest loser. That's a tough one. But I wouldn't say the biggest loser for the moves that they did make. Because I thought the moves they did make were solid. <clears throat> Edmonton, Toronto. I thought the Kulak move and the Broussard move, they didn't give up much for Edmonton. And I thought it was solid. Giordano, they paid a low price. Um, second round pick. And a few draft picks. And they were able to get Blackwell, potential 20-25 goal scorer, and a former Norris winner. But the thing for me that makes them losers is the moves they didn't do, which both those teams have question marks in net going into the playoffs. So <clears throat> for me, I'd like to see uh, either of those teams maybe pick up a goalie, um, maybe a Wedgwood or a Reimer or someone like that, just to kind of sure up that depth because neither of those nets are really stable going into the playoffs and anything could happen. Um, you look realistically, Toronto did try and get Harry Sateri for basically nothing um and it didn't work uh yeah so those are that's my losers that's my winners uh, that harry satiri move i mean he did say if any team claimed him he wasn't going to play in the nhl and arizona goes ahead and claims him so do you think the team has a vendetta teams have a vendetta against the leafs in terms of claiming players they've had 11 players claimed um twice more than any team yeah, do you think that it's a vendetta that teams have and they're coming after the Leafs? Or do you think it's just that the Leafs are able to assess talent so well that they have really elite bottom six forwards that would fit into other teams' middle middle nine or top six? I don't think teams really do have a vendetta against the Leafs. I mean, they put up, like, I think the Harry Sateri move is definitely just, I don't know what Arizona, that's just something. Maybe Arizona has against Toronto, but... I mean, look like a pair players like Adam Brooks should have cleaned off waivers twice now, and Riley Nash. I think those are just bottom six players that other teams would like to have in their team. Yeah, like Riley Nash, Travis Boyd. Um, he's having a big year in Arizona. He could be a potential twenty goal scorer in Arizona. Jimmy VC. He plays in New Jersey. New Jersey. He plays on their regular lineup. He's a regular NHLer. Um, even guys like Alex Barabanov, I know he wasn't claimed on waivers, but the Leafs traded him because he would have had to clear some waivers. Um, he's a really effective player for San Jose. So I think the Leafs just assess talent well, and other teams kind of look at the Leafs, and if they say, if this guy can crack their lineup, then why can't he crack our forward lineup? So <clears throat> I think that's part of the reason the other teams pick up their players. Yeah, yeah, Sean, any other thoughts on the trade deadline or anything else before I throw it over to our interviews? Um, we'll go back-to-back back with the interviews today. Um, or we can start it off. Should I throw Gene Principe? We'll, 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 uh, we'll uh, throw it over to Jason Strudwick after our segment, and uh, I'll give Gene the chance to uh, start our show off. So, yeah, I will... Uh, We'll throw it over to Jason Strudwick, but Sean, you have any other thoughts um, on the trade deadline? Anything else going into next week? We will be back next week, and we will be announcing the winner of our pod. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, guys. I have our giveaway next week. Um, the twenty, the April third, 
um, Sharks versus Canucks. So make sure you guys enter that at Lip Lettuce Podcast on Instagram, um, Lip Lettuce on Spotify. We're working on getting our podcast out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, when that is out, we'll let you guys know. But uh, any last thoughts, Sean? Uh, I don't really have anything on the trade deadline, but I mean, going in next week's action, Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews for Selkie, I think that should be in conversation. We talked about the Matthews suspension, right? Yeah, we talked about that. Okay, well, my last topic that I'll quickly throw in is the fact that GMs are thinking about putting a tra- uh, salary cap in in playoffs because of what's happened to the Vegas Golden Knights. Personally, I don't think that's something that should happen, and there should be a luxury tax that allows the highest-paying teams to get better players and spend more, and then that all that money goes to the lower teams' revenues. Um, we have teams who are barely paying $50 million for a roster right now, um, and we're worried about teams spending too much. So uh, a team I think that is really initiating this is the Vegas Golden Knights because it's really affected them this year. But that's because of their own carelessness. But I hope this is something that doesn't take effect. Because it does, then teams will just find different loopholes with LTIR and playoffs. So you don't want to keep hearing about it, uh, especially in playoffs. A team putting a player on LTIR just because in the Stanley Cup final, right? So, yeah, I think that we should go to a luxury tax. Um, The hard cap doesn't help anyone. And teams are finding loopholes no matter what. So... That's my opinion on that. Um, the NHL just needs to fix its whole system. Yeah, I think I think they should maybe switch to like a NBA soft cap or with luxury cap, and I think that'll just be better for the NHL. Well, you guys, um, this that is it for me and Hershon's talk on trade deadline. Um, without you guys, our podcast would be nothing. Um, we're keeping it going. Even if we have two listeners, even if we have three, we'll keep it going for you guys always. So thank you guys again for listening. As long as you're listening, we'll be recording. So thank you so, so much. Um, yeah, we'll throw it over to Hershon's interview with NHL veteran defenseman over 700 games played with two original six franchises, two Canadian teams. Who else do you play for, Sean? Played for the Canucks. Played for uh, Edmonton, Chicago, and New York. And New York. The one and only, the great and powerful, Jason Strudwick. Edmonton-born. Um, we have two Edmonton-born interviews, Gene Principe and Jason Strudwick, both from Edmonton. One played for the Oilers, one covers the Oilers, so... If you're an Oilers fan or interested in a team with the two best players in the world, these are two interviews that you can't miss. And uh, Hershon did a great job with his first interview. So, yeah, we'll throw it over. Sean, I'll let you do it because it's your interview. So, we'll throw it over to my interview with Jason Strudwick. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening again. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 9 of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. 
And today, I'm joined by a very special guest. He's played over 650 games in the NHL for five different teams, and now is part of the Jason Greger Show. I'm joined by Jason Strudwick. Thank you so much for your time today and joining the Lip Lettuce Podcast. Hey, happy to be on the Lip Lettuce. I like the name. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and uh, let's just get started. I mean, uh, from being, I'm from around the Vancouver area, and I know early in your career you played with the Canucks, so... I just wanted to know what was your time like with the Canucks? Well, it was a pretty special time, right? I'd been playing in the minors for a couple of years with the Islanders. And then I got called up to, uh, you know, to the big team. Um, and I, I wasn't upset about playing the minors, but, you know, you get to the big team and it, and it seemed like the team was in disarray a little bit. And, um, you know, you, you always want an opportunity to play in the NHL. Um, but like I said, the team's a bit of disarray. So when I got traded to Vancouver from Edmonton, I was actually thrilled or sorry, from sorry from Islanders to Vancouver, I was thrilled um, to go to an organization that seemed to have some, you know, uh, like a solid ownership group and, and just a calmness about it. And so I, I popped up on the scene there and it kind of started and I was there for, I guess, four and a half years. And uh, I grew a ton as a person, as a player. Um, you know, it was just, a, it was great. And, I was, and I'm from Edmonton, so it was pretty close to home. So I, I, I look back as a, it was a real important turning point in my career. Uh, going there and getting the opportunities I did, playing the people I did. And, and quite honestly, the two coaches we had in Mike Keene and Mark Crawford, they kind of guided me towards the type of player I had to be. You know, I had a sense of what I needed to be, but they really, they really helped me out. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty big, pretty big moment in my, in my life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I know after you played in Vancouver, you played in Chicago and what was um, the transition from going from Vancouver to Chicago? Well, you know, you're disappointed in Vancouver. You know, they said, Brian Burke said, listen, we, you know, we, we don't want to pay what you're making now. We'll bring you back at a lower rate and your, and your, your, your role might be smaller. And that, that's hard to hear, you know, and it's, it's, it's the first time you get, you know, getting traded for now under Vancouver didn't matter. I, I had no emotional investment in that team, but then I get to Vancouver and I'm emotionally invested. And so it's hurt, you know, it's, it's hurtful. And, and I'm not, and I'm not blaming Burke. Yeah, I have no ill feelings because he was just doing the business side, but it is, it, it's, it's emotionally hurtful. So, I was like, no, I think I'll find something else. So I did, I, I did, I found Chicago and I thought there was a good opportunity for me to play. Brian Sutter is a coach. You know, I think that, you know, he appreciated the type of player I was or would appreciate. And it turned out to be just fine, right? I went there and um, not, you know, I, I met my wife there. So that was really positive, but we, we weren't the best team. Um, you know, I love the city. Uh, the team, you know, it's probably the darkest uh, for that team, you know, the, they, they drafted Taze when I was there and then Kane that in subsequent draft and, and, uh, and uh, Jonathan Taze. So, you know, it was kind of the, the, the dawn or the, the, the darkest before the dawn. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. that's when I was there. So, um, you know, you just kind of, you, you just go with it, but it, a great city um, to play in. And then, you know, then, then the, the organization after the lockout kind of went on a bit of a transition and, and went on what I'd call a pretty historic uh, championship run. Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it any different for playing for original six team than playing for just a team like the Canucks? Um, playing in Canada is different. I mean, I think every NHL player should experience it. You know, there are some that don't want to come to Canada, but I, I think it's it's really worth your your experience. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I did it twice, and I loved it both times. Um, so you just kind of figure it out and, and, and make it happen. Uh, original six, I think there's more fans in other cities. You know, like no disrespect to Carolina, but no one's too excited to see Carolina come through. Yeah. Uh, but the Blackhawks or the Leafs or the Rangers, like, you know, they've been around a long time and people really appreciate them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, well, I know you're from Edmonton and you played for Edmonton at your late stages of your career. How was that playing for a hometown team? 
It was awesome. You know, I came back as a fully uh, functional uh, NHL player as far as knowing who I was, what I brought to a team. And, you know, you come back, it's, it's, it's different. Playing in your hometown, there's lots of people that want your time, your attention. And I respect all those things, right? I get it. Um, but I was, I was uh, very comfortable and I was able to establish some boundaries to make sure I was able to get what was done, needed done for myself to be ready. And I knew my routines. I knew what that looked like. And uh, I loved it. You know, those three years were absolutely fantastic. Um, we really got ourselves re kind of set up into the community and uh, we loved it. We, I, I absolutely loved my time with the Oilers. Um, you know, I still, you know, chill, cheer for the team as I do all the teams I cheer for or played for. I always hope they do well. Um, but Edmonton definitely has a special place in my heart. Yeah, that definitely must be special play for a hometown team. But I mean, in your last season of your career, you played with a young player in Jordan Eberle. Um, I just wanted to know what kind of experience that was with playing with a special player like him. Well, I knew he was a good player. I mean, uh, the first time I saw him play, I was like, oh boy. And he had been at camp the year previous. Um, but he was fast. He was skilled. And, you know, fearless and i think that's what the new young group of players are they're fearless uh and 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 they think they should come in and and be right away have an impact on the game which they do um so credit to them you know and he was one of the leading guys that to to, to do that he and taylor hall both at the same time so special players and it was it was definitely neat to, to be a part of that yeah definitely definitely um well now i know you are you know part of the jason gregory show and i just want to know is there any like Difficulty switching from a player to a broadcaster? Um, yeah, the challenge is, you know, you still have to be critical of players. So, you know, you'll hear a guy say, this Stradwick's the worst player I've ever seen. And like, A, I think that's a bit hurtful. And B, I think it's just, it doesn't give the listener any impact or any any information. Why do you feel he's the worst player? Well, Stradwick can't pivot. Okay, now that that's something that that, that listener can take home and hear. But I find, I think it's useless when I hear you know, any kind of analyst um, say, well, this guy sucks. He's the worst player ever. Well, that's, to me, that's just an emotional reaction that, that really has no base of any kind of having a clue. And, and this is any sport. I don't care if you're talking golf, synchronized swimming or darts. You know, you, you, need, to, you need to tell the listener uh, something they don't know. You know, they, so let's say Strudwick has a bad game. Okay, Strudwick has a bad game. He's the worst player ever. Okay, there I knew that. So what went wrong? Well, I thought he didn't look like he had his legs tonight. He was making bad decisions. Oh, that's a take home, right? So I think that's the challenge and being comfortable criticizing players, um, you know, in, in, a, in, in a way that's respectful, but still, you know, trying to get the information across to the player. And the same on the other side. You know, Stradwick had an amazing game. This is what I liked about him. His feet were moving today. I thought his head was up. He made a lot of great plays. He was hard on the puck. Okay, those are things that, you know, the, the, the average listener can take home. Yeah, so just instead of giving a emotional reaction, maybe going more in depth of what you thought they didn't do well in or what you thought they did great about in a game or just so far. That's exactly yeah. it, yeah. So um, I just have one more question. And okay. that is, what, do you have any advice for younger players who are trying to make it to the pro level? Uh, yeah, you know, so I made it on, on – um well, toughness, but like a determination. And I think maybe looking back, I wasn't as smart as I thought. Um, you know, I just, I would not be denied. Um, I worked uh, harder than anyone else. I did things like, you know, the, not everyone wants to fight. I did it. And, um, you know, now you can't really do that, but you can't do the same as everybody else and expect to be a better player than them. You know, that that's, 
That's the truth. If you want to be a good hockey player, a good golfer, a doctor, whatever you want to be, a, the best teacher, you have to do more than other people because doing the same as everybody else will get you average. And average is okay. There's nothing wrong with average. But if your expectations are higher for yourself, you've got to put more time in than anybody, uh, than anybody else. And then that's what I did. You know, I, I, I would work out like crazy. I'd come home, I'd do some stick handling at home, be shooting pucks. Like I did everything that um, I could to make myself the best version of myself. I watched tape of myself. I watched tape of others. Like you have to put that time in. And if you're willing to put the time in, you're rewarded. The problem is that reward is not instantaneous. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, and um, yeah, thank you for joining us and thank you so much for your time. It was an honor to be able to speak to you and yeah. Well, listen, good luck with the podcast. It sounds like you're off to a good start and uh, take care. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, thank buddy. You so Talk, to you Talk to you, you later. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.